welcome to Standing in the Gap. I'm your host preacher, Brandon Harrell. Standing in the Gap is a weekly audio Bible study dedicated to the verse-by-verse exposition of the KJV Scriptures. It is my prayer that through these studies, the lost will be saved, the believer edified, and most of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be magnified and honored through the proclamation of His Word. For correspondence information, please stay tuned until the end of the broadcast. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this week's Standing in the Gap. All right, Matthew chapter 1. Stand, if you will, (coughs) when you find your place. And we'll look at the, the first 17 verses will be our text. That's what we'll read this morning. A lot of names in here that I'm not going to be able to pronounce right, and you probably ain't either, so don't make fun of me. If I miss one and you get it right, you'll miss the next one, and I'll get it right. Amen? So we'll just agree not to pick on each other too bad about it. Verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar. And Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Booz of Rechab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam. And Reboam begat Abiah. And Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat. And Josaphat begat Joram. And Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begat Joatham. And Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. And Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias. And Josias begat Jeconias, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor. And Azor begat uh, Sadok, and Sadok begat Achab, and Achim begat Eliad. And Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. You can be seated this morning. I've, I've done this in the past, so I'm not trying to be too hard on people, but... When you learn better, you ought to know better, amen? And uh, I I see this happen a lot. I see when folk come to, especially genealogies in the Bible, 
they always maybe rush through or act like they're of no importance or make fun of the fact that people would even spend time looking at a genealogy. Oftentimes in our scripture reading, we'll just kind of scroll over top of them as we go and we don't look at the names and we don't think of who we're reading about and we're just trying to move along and get to the point. And I'll admit, as far as just reading is concerned, sometimes it's difficult to to do that. Our minds don't want to hone in and focus. But the genealogies in Scripture are critical. There are a lot of things that we would not know if it were not for the genealogies. There are a lot of facts about the redemption that you enjoy and the redemption that I enjoy that we would not be able to settle were it not for God having meticulous record of who begat who throughout the history of the Jewish nation. But no genealogy that we come to in Scripture is of any more importance than that one that we've read in Matthew chapter 1 and the one that we find in the book of Luke and the third chapter. For these two settle for us the lineage, the descent of the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity as well as in his heavenly nature as we read the word of God. And so I love the way Matthew 1 opens. It is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Two important facts are settled there. He's the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. But this is the book of the generation, the book of the beginning, the book of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, there are contrasts between this and the one found in Luke, and we'll explore some of those as we go. But notice as we begin this, the author here of the Gospel of Matthew He was Matthew, or otherwise known as Levi. He was a publican. Now that matters even in the consideration of this genealogy. You've got to remember where the Jewish nation was when the Lord appeared. They were under Roman domination. They were being taxed unfairly and extravagantly by the Roman government. And the Roman government had then gone and employed Jews themselves to be those who would go about and collect the taxes upon the nation of Israel. Now, if you were a Jew, it was bad enough that Romans were taking your money. But what made that worse was when a Jew would come and take your money in order to give it to the Romans. You talk about a a, a yellow belly. You talk about a traitor. You talk about one with a stripe, brother. That was a bad thing. And they hated the publicans. But this particular publican, one day, he sat at the receipt of customs. And I don't know how much contact he had had with the ministry of Christ before that day. But on that particular day, the Lord Jesus passed by where it was and he said two simple words. He said, follow me. And thank God Levi shut the money box and he followed the Lord Jesus from there on to the rest of his days. And he became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt in my mind that there was a turnaround in his life, probably one notable and evident in the lives of those around him. 
And by the time that it came uh, to the writing of the Gospel of Matthew, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Levi or Matthew was a credible witness of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have here the book of Matthew beginning with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, to you and I, when we think of genealogy or our ancestry, of course, now in our day, ancestry is a big thing. They even got a website, and you can go back and try to find out where your uh, descendants were, where, where you came from, where your uh, homeland used to be, and we understand that people say it like this, this is a nation of immigrants, none of us Unless you're a Native American, you didn't start out here. Your people came from somewhere else, and we understand all of that. But really, when it comes down to knowing your ancestry, it really does nothing to enhance your life or change your life. It's good to know. We like that. But in a sense, it's nothing more than a novelty to know where you came from. I've got a little bit of red in my beard. That tells me there's Scottish or Irish somewhere in my background. But really, if I found out tomorrow one or the other for certain. It wouldn't change the way I'm living. It wouldn't change my life. It wouldn't affect me. I mean, maybe if I had a rich great, 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 great uncle who had uh, wheeled money to me that I didn't know, that might change it, but that's pretty uh, pretty rare occasion, I would imagine. So our genealogies really don't make a whole lot of difference in our life, but that was not the way that it was for a Jew, especially in the time of Christ. i give you a uh, four things real quickly that made a genealogy so important to a Jew. First of all, had to do with their titles to property. Their titles to property. You remember when the Lord made the promise to the nation of Israel of the land that he would give them. When they finally got over there, they began to split the land up, to divide it up. And they gave this lot to that tribe, and this lot to that tribe, and this lot to that tribe. And so their lineage mattered because it determined where they would live, what property belonged to them, and whether or not that land was theirs or not. That mattered to them. And so they kept meticulous records of their ancestry. Then it mattered for the sake of taxation in that first century. Uh, you remember in Luke 2, when it talks about whenever Joseph and Mary, they were called for this taxation, and he went up unto Judea uh, out of Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. No doubt that affected where they paid their taxes. That affected how much tax they paid. I mean, all of that matters, so they needed to know where they were coming from had to do uh, specifically with the priesthood in the temple. So the titles, the taxation, and the temple. They had to know that they were a Levite in order to be a part of the priesthood. That mattered. They, they had to know who was uh, allowed by God, who was permitted by God to bring offerings unto him. If you were not a Levite, you could not do that. And if you could not do that, atonement could not be made. And you were in trouble with God without remedy because you did not know who a priest was. So they kept meticulous records. But then... This mattered because of the throne. They were looking for Messiah. They were longing for the arrival of their Messiah. And they knew a few things about him. They didn't know all that they should have known. They could have known more than they did. But they did know this. He would be of the house and lineage of David. He would be a direct descendant 
of the king named David. They knew that much. And so these, uh, these genealogies and all of these things were of utmost importance because they were waiting on Messiah and without them, they could not know who Messiah was. Well, the book of Matthew here in chapter 1 directs us to the genealogy of the Messiah, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, looking at this, I really just want to give you two headings uh, as, we, as we examine these 17 verses, and we'll look in some other places as well. But the first is the genealogy of Jesus. Just this list of names, that's what a genealogy is, a list of names. This one begat that one, and that one begat this one, and that one. This one's daddy was such and such, and his daddy was such and such, and you might be able to get a little ways back. I know that I had a great-grandpa named Tennessee. That's about as far back as I can get. Uh, but uh, these lists, these names tell us who was in the line genealogically. But then we'll notice under the second heading that we'll get to is the grace in this book of the generation of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of grace throughout these verses that we'll see. But let's start with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We notice, first of all, his royal descent. His royal descent. Notice what it says in verse 1. As we think about this royal descent, I would point out the obligation of royal descent. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, he had to be the son of Abraham. That made him racially a Jew. But he had to be the son of David because that made him royally a Jew. That made him king material. And so this obligation rests here in verse 1. And Levi, Matthew, is going to go ahead and settle the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and he is the son of David. Now it would be impossible to be a son of David and not be a son of Abraham, right? Because we know that David is a descendant of Abraham. So we're focusing then on the royal descent of the line of Jesus. But notice in verse 2, it says, Abraham begat Isaac. We don't go any farther back here than to Abraham. That's as far as we get. Now notice here, I'm going to uh, just direct your attention through verse 2 there. You know, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And probably you're familiar with most of those in verses 2 and 3. We know Abraham, we know Isaac, we know Jacob, we know Phares and Tamar. We know about them. We know about verse number 5. Salmon begat booze of Rechab. That's Rahab. Boaz begat uh, Obed of Ruth. We know those names. We come down to verse number 6. And Jesse begat David the king. Amen. So we've got it established from Abraham all the way down to David. But notice this. And David the king begat Solomon 
of her that had been the wife of Urias. So this particular line in Matthew chapter 1 takes us from Abraham to Solomon. From Abraham to Solomon. Now, this settles the matter of the royal lineage of Jesus Christ. He is, according to Matthew, of kingly descent. So the obligation. But then notice with me the omissions here. Go to verse number 8. We got to Solomon. Solomon begat Reboam. Reboam begat Abiah. Abiah begat Asa. We know those names. In verse 8, Asa begat Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat begat Joram. Now watch this. Every one of those have been in chronological order. They've been one after the other in line of how they appeared in history. But notice this in verse 8. Joram begat Ozias. Now you don't see this directly here, but understand this. There are three kings that appear between Joram and Ozias that are not mentioned in this verse. There are three omissions, if you will, in this verse. God, because we believe he wrote the Bible, say amen right there, and I won't have to preach another 15 minutes. God purposely left out. He purposely omitted three names of three kings of Israel. He didn't leave out names of peasants. (laughs) He didn't leave out names of thieves and robbers, right? I mean, we have names of some pretty lowly folk mentioned in Scripture. But here in the genealogy of Christ, God purposely omits three names. I don't know about you, but that gets me interested as to who they are and why they've been omitted. Go to the book of 2 Kings with me this morning. 2 Kings chapter 8. Who are these kings? So we have Joram, and then we move straight to Ozias, that is Uzziah. In 2 Kings chapter 8, look at verse number 25. The scripture says, In the twelfth year of Joram, that's the one we have mentioned in the New Testament, Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, begin to reign. I'm sorry, Joram in this verse is not the same one. It is Jehoram. Jehoram was the king of Judah. I want to mark that. We are watching the descent of the kings of Judah in the line of Christ. So this Jehoram here in verse 25 is Joram in our verse in the book of Matthew chapter 1. It says, In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, that's Ahab's son who reigns. He's been on the throne twelve years. Then Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. So Ahaziah was the son of Jehoram who also begat Osias in our verse, but is omitted. But it tells us in verse number 26, two and 20 years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri, king of Israel. So here was a king of Judah who married a queen of Judah or a princess of Judah. 
or vice versa. Yeah, it was the king of Judah who married a princess from Israel. And, and then they had Ahaziah. And the Bible tells us in verse 27, he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So as we come through Matthew 1, we come to Joram, who has a son named Azahiah, who has married the wife of Ahab. And the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 8 that Ahaziah adopted the ways of Ahab. He started acting like somebody from the northern kingdom. He married Ahab's daughter, and he started to flirt around with idolatry. Look at verse 28. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to the war against Hazael, king of Syria. I'm sorry, I meant in verse 27. He walked in the ways of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law to the house of Ahab. Now, we find here that he has adopted the ways of Ahab. He married Ahab's daughter. Can I remind you who Ahab's wife was? Anybody remember that? Jezebel. I told you this is kind of hard to follow, and it's been hard for me to follow. That's why that's my, my mind's been about to explode all morning. But so here we have the first omission in Matthew 1 is Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram. But Ahaziah married the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and he began to walk in their ways. And when a king begins to walk in that direction, a nation will quickly follow. So he introduced, if you will, idolatry to the land of Israel. There are two more kings that are omitted in that verse. The next was Joash. You probably remember some of Joash. His career started out pretty good. It seemed like there was going to be a measure of revival, but at the end, he backslid and turned. And then he was followed by Amaziah. That would have been the uh, great great-grandson of Joram who's mentioned in our text. Then the Bible tells us in Matthew 1 came Osias or Uzziah. Now you'll remember Uzziah's name because uh, Isaiah uses it in chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah was a godly king. Uzziah did bring, uh, did see a measure of revival, and God did use him. And when he passed off the scene, Isaiah was concerned with the condition of the nation and what may take place after his passing. That's why he was in despair in chapter 6 until he saw the Lord. But we have here three kings completely omitted from the genealogy of Jesus. Why would that be? Well, I believe the answer lies with Ahaziah who introduced idolatry to the kingdom. Look in Exodus chapter number 20. <clears throat> and let's read just a couple of verses here. You know this chapter. This is the, the, the chapter where we find the Ten Commandments given. But notice uh, verse number 1 of Exodus 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. I mean, God's pretty clear about how he feels about idolatry, isn't he? And it says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, listen to this, upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So God said, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon their third and fourth generation. But then he said, I'll show mercy unto them that love me and keep my commandments. So I believe that's the answer why we have an omission of three kings. We find there that uh, Amaziah, or Ahaziah married that daughter, that wicked daughter of Jezebel, introduced idolatry, and God omitted the names of him and two of his, or the third generation beyond him, two of his descendants out of the genealogy of Christ. God would make no mention of them for the remembrance of their sin. But then he's merciful, isn't he? Because he says, Joram begat Osias. He brought Uzziah up. In the genealogy of Christ. So we see the omissions here. In verse 8, there are three omissions, but now there's another omission in verse number 11. Look there with me. <clears throat> in Matthew 1, verse 11, and Josias begat Jeconias. Josias begat Jeconias. Now everybody knows Josiah. And when we come to the next one, it says Jeconias, but he's actually the grandson of Josias. There was another king in between by the name of Jehoiakim. Go to the book of 2 Kings again and look at chapter number 23. 2 Kings chapter 23. In verse 36. <clears throat> of course, in verse 34, we find Josiah being made the king in the room of, uh, or well, we find Eliakim who becomes Jehoiakim. He changes his name in verse 34. So verse 36, Jehoiakim was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So Jehoiakim was evil. Now look at verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the children of Ammon and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did and also for the innocent blood that he shed for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. Wow. Innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. 
So we find Jehoiakim here. It got so bad under his reign that God finally brought in Nebuchadnezzar. And he is omitted from the genealogy of Christ. Omitted. So names here that don't belong. Now, I want you to understand this too. In verse number 17, we have three sections of 14 generations mentioned. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon, those are 14 generations. And from the carrying away of, into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. That would not be the case if it were not for these four omissions. But we have these. Some say that they wanted to have those three particular sections. But I thought about it this way. God didn't even count the generations in the genealogy of those who had done so wickedly in his sight. It's like God erased the memory of them all together. And I, I know this is just a kind of a weak point maybe, but this is what I'm getting across to you this morning. Simply this, God hates sin. And God keeps a record of sin. And God does not like it and God knows about it. And one day God will permanently punish sin. But understand this, their memory is eradicated from off the pages of the genealogy of Christ simply because of sin. Sin. God hates it. As we think about this royal descent, we see the obligation, we see the omissions. But then notice in verse number 11, there is an obstruction. And Josias begat Jeconias. We just read about Jehoiakim. Jeconias or Jeconiah is the son of Jehoiakim. And the Bible says here in verse 11 that this took place. Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel. So we find here the record of Jeconias. Now, Jeconias is a rather important figure in the Old Testament. And I want to show you why in 2 Kings 24 this morning. 2 Kings 24. I should have told you to hold your place there in 23. But look at 2 Kings 24. And I want to show you Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim was important because we need to know that God hates sin. But Jehoiakim was important because then we find following him Jeconiah or Jeconias. And here he's called Jehoiachin in chapter 24 of 2 Kings. That's simply the Hebrew rendering of his name where Jeconias is the Greek rendering of his name. But in look in verse 6. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers and Jehoiachin or Jeconias in our New Testament text, Jehoiachin reigned in his stead. And the king of Egypt came, not again any more out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt under the river of the Euphrates all that pertained to the king of Egypt. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months, and his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At the time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, at that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. 
And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants, and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. I mean, it's in desolation now because Jehoiachin didn't get right. He didn't take the warnings that should have been right, written on the wall for him. And in verse 16, it says, And all the men of might, even 7,000 craftsmen, smith, 1,000, all that were strong and apt for war, even them, the king of Babylon, brought captive to Babylon. Jehoiachin did evil in the sight of God. Now, <clears throat> turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. I want to read you something that Jeremiah writes concerning this man, Jehoiachin. Jeremiah chapter number 22. And I want you to read this. This is significant. This is where we're getting back into the royal descendancy of Christ. <clears throat> In chapter 22 of Jeremiah, verse number 24. As I live, saith the Lord... Though, now notice what he does here, Coniah. He does not say Jeconiah. He just says Coniah. Why? Well, Je points to Jehovah. And God, out of contempt for the sin of Jeconiah in our New Testament, Jehoiachin in our Old, out of contempt for him, God said, I don't even want my name to be associated with that wicked man. I mean, this is a stern rebuke from God. Now, watch what he says. As I live, saith the Lord, though Kenai, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence, and I would give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out and thy mother that bear thee into another country where you were not born and there shall you die. God said, I'm not even going to let you die in my land. He says in verse 27, but to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, can I, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? He's asking rhetorically there. He's saying he is a broken idol. He is the despised individual. He said, wherefore they cast out he and his seed and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. I've never seen this before till today, but earth, 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 man, the Lord's getting somebody's attention when he says their name three times. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Think about those repetitions of people's names. Well, here God wants the entire earth at a time when Gentiles were still strangers and it didn't matter. God's even saying to them, listen, O earth. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless 
a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So God puts a curse on Jeconiah. And he says, you might as well just consider him childless. That didn't mean he wouldn't have children. We know that he did. But he said, his children are going to amount to nothing. They're going to amount to zeal. And he said, there will never be one descendant of Jehoiachin who will ever sit upon the throne of David ever again. Now go to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And we have here in verse number 12, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and all the way on down to verse number 15, and Eliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Listen to me. If Joseph had been the biological father of Christ, he would never have been allowed to sit upon the throne of David. But look what Matthew does. Very, very uh, succinctly here. It says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. He makes sure that we know. He makes sure that those Jews knew that Jesus was not in line as far as the throne goes with Jeconias upon whom the curse was placed. Now we understand from Scripture that after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary had other children. And listen, not one of them could ever look to Christ who was Messiah and say, really, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. They could not do that because Joseph was their father. You remember all the battles that take place in Scripture over this brother might take the throne. There was one place there where a lady took the throne and she killed all the sons that could possibly have taken the throne from her except for one. That was Josiah. He, he survived. They hid him. You think about those things. I mean, they were jealous over the throne. But here we find Jesus in a position, even though he would have siblings upon earth, he is in a position where his right to the throne is uncontested even by them, the Messiah. He was the son of Mary who was the husband of Joseph. But what this did do, as the adopted child of Joseph, and there's no doubt in my mind they had done whatever legally needed to be done upon this earth for him to be the legal guardian or father figure, whatever you want to call it, of Jesus. He was not his father, but he was his daddy, amen, in that sense. But we find that he makes sure they understand that even though Jeconias, there was an obstruction to the royal descent in Jehoiachin or Jeconias, he wants us to know the royal right to the throne remained because he was not a biological descendant of Joseph, but the right was there because Joseph was a biological descendant of David. Think about that. That's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. So we see the royal descent. But now in Luke 3, and I'll give you this and we'll get to the, the grace side of things 
at another time. But in Luke chapter number 3, look there with me. We have in Matthew 1 the royal descent, but here it's settled in the matter of his racial descent. And I, I don't really know of a better word to use here. This just establishes, establishes the fact that in his humanity, Jesus was Jewish. He had a right to the throne because he was the adopted son of Joseph who could legally transfer that right. But he had a right to the throne because he was the biological descendant of Mary through the line of David. It's an amazing thing. Now watch it. And I'll emphasize three verses in Luke 3. We won't take the time to read all this, but look at verse number 23. <clears throat> well, let's back up and look at verse 21 and 22 because that's pretty impressive here too with where it's located. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here God has just audibly confirmed that this is his Son. That's after Luke 1 and 2, the virgin birth of Christ. But in verse 23 it says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, amen, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now hold on a minute. Look at that verse 23. He was supposed to be the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Well, according to Matthew 1 and verse number 16, Jacob begat Joseph. So what's going on here? What we have in Luke chapter number 3 is the line of Christ to his mother Mary. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the line of Christ through his adoptive father, Joseph, his adopted dad. And so we find here this man named Heli is brought before us. So it's interesting to me that in the lineage of Mary, she's not even mentioned, but she is mentioned in the lineage of Joseph as the husband of Mary. So verse 23 tells us that he was supposed to be the son of Joseph, but Joseph was not the son of Heli, that was Mary. So we understand automatically we're looking at the descendancy of his mother. But then look at verse 31. <clears throat> and now we've gone, at, well, in verse number 24, we're starting, I'll remind you of this too. In Matthew 1, we start with Abraham and work forward in time. In Luke chapter 3, we start with Joseph and Mary and we work backward in time. So from Heli down to verse number 31 that ends with David, we have a different line of descendants because it's a different person from whom we're descending. It's Mary instead of Joseph. But look at verse 31, which was the son of Maliah, which was the son of Menon, which was the son of Matatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. The son of Nathan. Joseph was a descendant of David, but he was a descendant of Solomon. Mary was a descendant of David, but she was a descendant of his son, Nathan. Both were mothered by Bathsheba. Nathan and Solomon were sons of David and Bathsheba. But Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, Je 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 however you pronounce it there in the New Testament, he's of the line of Solomon. That really was the kingly line. They are the ones 
who ended up with the throne after Solomon there in Judah. But that didn't mean they were the only ones with right to it. They were just the ones that ended up with it. You remember the split, Rehoboam and Jeroboam and different things, and every now and then this and then take the throne by force, and that would take. But here, here the whole time, listen to me here, the whole time from the time of Solomon down to the time of Christ, Satan has been focused on that particular line. You think about the idolatry and the sin and the temptation. If Ahab had never met Jezebel, never married her, then idolatry would have never crept in to the life of Ahaziah. And Ahaziah wouldn't have brought that upon the nation of Judah. And I mean, everywhere you look, the devil was just throwing everywhere, everything he had, he was throwing it at the line of Solomon because somewhere along the line, he became convinced that that was the root of Jesse that would spring up, that that was where that line, that Messiah would come from, would be. He wasn't looking at that crowd that wasn't kings. And all the while he's attacking the line of Solomon, God's just keeping the line of Nathan going and going and going. And they're living in obscurity and they're living in silence and nobody knows them or cares about them. But thank God some 2,000 years ago, one of the descendants of Nathan, hallelujah, a little gal by the name of Mary got a visit from an angel and God said, I'm going to throw the devil a curveball. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Think about that. That reminded me this morning. I was sitting there and I just had to rejoice. The devil is not omniscient. Right. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad he don't know everything. He ain't near as smart as he is, as he thinks he is. Can you imagine his chagrin this morning just hearing us read Luke 3 and being reminded that all of his effort and all of his energy was placed on the wrong ge genealogical line coming from David? He missed it a million miles, and I'm glad that he did, amen. But there really wasn't no other way it could be. <laughs> Nathan. Who knew he would be the answer? David didn't. Absalom and Solomon, that was the two. I mean, that was the only two that really even were brought up for consideration when it came time to pick a king upon the diseases of David. But Nathan, nobody thought about Nathan, nor did they need to because it wasn't Nathan God was interested in. It was his son. It was his son. Isn't that wonderful? God's smarter than the devil ever thought of being. Now look at verse number 38 of Luke 3. <clears throat> which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. <laughs> In Matthew 1, God has established the kingship of Jesus Christ as the Messiah to the Jew. But in Luke chapter 3, he's established the humanity of Christ as the Lord to the whole entire earth because every last one of us find our way back to Adam. I'm not lying to David. I'm not linked to Solomon. I'm not linked to Nathan. But thank God I'm linked to Adam. The first Adam. You say, what about that? Yeah, I know he's sinned. Had he never sinned, we'd never know the Lord like we can know him now and in the way that we do. I want to point this out. There's not a Jew on planet Earth in 2019 that can trace their lineage to King David. 
They really can't even do it to Abraham legally. I mean, they can't, they can't give you a paper trail. They can't do it. They're in utter despair because they know they have no idea who the priests are. They're not offering sacrifices today. They claim to follow the Old Testament, but they're not because they ain't killed a bullock or a goat. Why haven't they? They don't know who to do it. They don't know who to, who to have go in. They don't have a temple. They don't have a place. 70 AD, God eliminated it. God took it out of the way. It's gone. So here's what they're left with. Either Jesus is the Messiah or God lied. Now I know they're still waiting on Messiah, but when he gets here, how's he going to prove anything to them? How? God settled it, didn't he? There's only one in the history of all the world that could possibly be the Messiah. I want to point the, I want to emphasize this, and I'm done this morning. Jesus cannot be declared to be the Messiah simply because he met all the criteria. Because that would imply that maybe there was somebody else who had come along or who could come along who might also meet the criteria. No, no. Friend, Jesus can be declared to be the Messiah, the Son of God, because he's the only one, hallelujah, who could meet the criteria of Messiahship. Let's stand their feet this morning. Thank you for listening to Standing in the Gap. It is my desire that today's episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, my email is bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. That's b-c-h-a-r-r-e-l-l 83 at protonmail.com. You can also reach me by phone at 828-777-4923. Tune in next time for Standing in the Gap.